This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, visit them at a ham fest near you or call 920-435-2973 or online at pl-259.com. It's Ham Radio. Good evening, everyone. It's Ham Talk Live, episode number 98, Building Satellites and the Fox D1D launch, rather, with Jerry in Zero JY recorded live on Thursday, January 18th, 2018. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by AMSAT Vice President for Engineering, Jerry Buxton, N0JY, and we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. Uh, last week, if you missed the show, Doug Grant, K1DG, was here to talk about the World Radio Sport Team Championships. And if you ever miss a show, all you have to do is go to hamtalklive.com and you can play it on the website anytime you like. Uh, you can also catch the podcast version over on your five favorite podcast app. Um, we upload to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and we also upload to YouTube, and uh, lots of other podcast apps get the feeds from there. So uh, be sure to check that out and subscribe to us. Well, uh, get your satellite building questions ready to go uh, after the interview. You can give us a call. It's not time to call yet, but let me give you the number so you have your dialing fingers ready. It's 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. You can also Skype us directly at HamTalkLive. You can also tweet us. We're at HamTalkLive on Twitter. And I know the satellite folks... They love their Twitter, so we'll uh, we'll try to keep an eye on that tonight. So I will be back with Jerry right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you in part by Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics has been the Ham's dime store since 1978. When you need connectors, mobile and handheld antennas, cables, or adapters, visit Scott or Jill at a HamFest near you. Or you can order online at pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. Stock up on those supplies like PL-259 and end connectors, SMA adapters, audio cables, soldering supplies, mobile antennas, and ham sticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even used on the international Space Station. Tower Electronics carries MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and HamPro products. And don't miss their 0% off sale going on now. Tower Electronics online at pl-259.com. Proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. 
Sorry for the delay. Your host, Neil Rapp, is reading a book on anti-gravity, and he just can't put it down. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics are sponsoring the show yet once again tonight. They help bring you Ham Talk Live each and every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. They're back out on the road. You can catch them this weekend in Fort Myers, Florida. Had the Ham Fest there on Friday and Saturday, the 19th and 20th. Um, And then they'll also be um, at Wheaton, Illinois on Sunday. And then uh, on the 27th, on Saturday the 27th, they will be in both Arcadia, Florida and Collinsville, Illinois. But they're always at pl-259.com and they're by the phone number 920-435-2973. Tell them you heard it on Ham Talk Live and get uh, your adapters, connectors, and, and whatever you need. Well, joining us tonight is Jerry Buxton, N0JY. He's been a ham since 1972. And Jerry says he enjoys giving to the community by sharing his God-given talents to help build ham satellites and help out communities with disaster response. Uh, Jerry says there's more things to do in amateur radio than he could ever get done, but he likes to bounce around between satellites and HF and CW and voice, digital, you name it. Uh, He operates his HK5JY from Columbia when visiting his wife's family, along with his XYL, KD5FCQ. And Jerry is the vice president of AMSAT North America, in charge of engineering, and is also the Texas District 4 radio officer for RACES. So, Jerry, thank you for coming on Ham Talk Live tonight. Good evening, Neil, and thank you for inviting me. Good to be here. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been wanting to get you on here for a while, and and the timing just worked out great because just last week, in fact, just a few hours after this show uh, last week, Fox One D was successfully launched, and uh, been hearing and seeing uh, some of the reports coming in on Twitter. Uh, looks like a, uh, a fabulous job by the team. Um, Sean KX9X uh, mentioned that he heard it with an HT and a rubber duck uh, out in Connecticut, and you know just just had it there without really aiming or trying. And um, some of the images that have been uh, downloaded already from it have been incredible. So fill us in on the latest uh, happenings on the first week of Fox One D. Very well. Fox 1D did launch at uh, 3.59 a.m. UTC last Thursday night for us here from uh, India on a PSLV launch vehicle. And uh, at about 4, excuse me, make that 5.18 a.m., we expected that it came alive, and we did hear telemetry shortly thereafter. So uh, once we had the telemetry downlink, it could officially become an AO, and it was uh, designated AO92 on Friday. We uh, 
one of the first things we do after we watch it uh, run until we get a good pass over the U.S. is just look at telemetry that's gathered by all of the helpful hams throughout the world. We distribute Fox Telem software, which is uh, which works with all of the Fox satellites, and uh, in capturing the telemetry, the user is you know can see what everything that's going on, but it also relays it to our central server and gives us the opportunity to check up on things even when it's not within range of the U.S. So, so when it came around the next day, we did put it into safe mode, and then shortly thereafter, uh, we put it into transponder mode. Transponder mode, of course, is the mode that uh, users are typically uh, familiar with, and that is when it operates as, as a repeater, essentially, a cross-band repeater. And when we did that, we did we do a, a little bit of voice check out there, and one of the command stations... Drew Glassbrenner, KO4MA. Uh, he sits in his shack office there and pulls out his HT, and it has one of the quarter-inch aftermarket whips on it. I mean, excuse me, quarter-inch would be nice, right? Uh, yeah. A quarter wave. <laughs> <laughs> quarter wave, that'd, how's that? That'd, that'd, be, and, that'd be some high frequency. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going there, too. I can tell you more about that later. Uh, so with 5 watts at uh, 10 degrees elevation, he said, he got in. AO92 just fine. So it is nice and sensitive. Of course, when it's busy, that's probably going to be a lot harder to make a QSO that way. But nonetheless, it, it's working very well. And then all of the Fox satellites have 500, 600 milliwatts output. So they're pretty easy to hear, even with a rubber duck. Although you have to remember to point it around for polarity because it's not straight up and down like we're used to with our HTs down here. And uh, the whole week then, yeah, we've been running through what we call the in-orbit checklist, and we do a number of tests. FOX-1D has more experiments than FOX-1A or FOX-1B did, which are AO85 and AO91. So we've been uh, going through steps to test the experiments. The camera was the first one that we looked at early on, and as you mentioned, there have been some really nice pictures returned from that. The uh, team at Virginia Tech team of students uh, we partnered with them and they provided built and provided the experiment as our fox one satellites cubesats are designed to be able to hold four slots of experiments whether one experiment uses one of them or or uses all four of them we can host experiments in there so the virginia tech camera takes up one of those and looks out the uh, top end if you will the plus z end of the satellite and the uh, 320 by 240 pictures that they're that they're returning are amazing. You can if you don't see them with your Fox Telem software, you can see them on the the leaderboard AMSAT website. And uh, I'll put in a little plug that anybody who does copy even a portion of a, a picture or any telemetry whatsoever, for that matter, with Fox Telem is contributing because once that all gets sent to the server, uh, we will have hopefully enough uh, frames that came from enough locations to to be able to reassemble the entire. The picture so that's why uh, you can usually catch a full picture on the web page and then we moved on to testing the herky mode herky is an experiment from the university of iowa that is going to measure or map the radiation belts it's kind of a uh, similar or a follow-on to uh, what dr van allen had done back in the late 1950s and the students put together an experiment this takes up two bays and it uh, essentially, uh, throughout the orbit, it's gathering data, and then we put it into a high-speed mode to be able to download that data. 
data, and that's what we were testing today. Uh, we ran it a little bit last night and then again today. And uh, once we have confirmation from University of Iowa that everything's looking good with that, that uh, we'll check that off the list. We also have one more experiment that we created ourselves, AMSAT, and we call it Downshifter. Downshifter allows us to have an L-band uplink, 1.2 gigahertz. And <clears throat> that means that uh, in addition to the typical uplink, excuse me a second, um, of 435 megahertz with the downlink on two meters, we also have the option of turning on a 1.2 gigahertz uplink with the two meter downlink. They're uh, mutually exclusive, so it'll be in one mode or the other. The L band, uh, the downshifter, as it's so named, is play a, a down converter. And what it'll do is receive the L band, down convert it to the 435.350 megahertz input of the stock receiver, if you will, on Fox 1D. And uh, that will give us that opportunity to work with L-band. Uh, we'll find a similar one on Fox 1C, too. So we'll probably test that out. I'm thinking about uh, tomorrow night to turn it on and give it a give it a little try. Everything that we go through is uh, laid out in a, in a script. But uh, we, depending on what the results are and what the opportunities are to command the satellite, we make a, little, a few variations on that. And I usually don't... Uh, Unless we need help with the telemetry or we're going to do the photos or something, we don't usually broadcast it because it's just a matter of we can kind of see what happens when it comes up sometimes. I expect that by a week from today, we will be able to open it up for general amateur radio use. So everything's looking good so far. All right. Very good. And uh, <laughs> uh, Robert Fitzpatrick says, uh, we need satellite, please. <laughs> AO-92 is a busy satellite, so need need some uh, traffic cops out there, I guess. Well, uh, Hopefully, uh, we're the only ones keeping <laughs> it busy right now, though. Well, we, yeah, we hope <laughs> until everything's checked out. Well, the main reason we, we wanted you to come on tonight was to talk about your particular expertise, which is building these things. Um, so give us an idea of what goes into building one of these, particularly like Fox 1D. There's quite a bit of work that goes into them. Um, let me start kind of at the beginning of the design, of course. Uh, the Fox 1s are AMSAT's first CubeSat design, and it was uh, conceived back around 2009 by the then Vice President of Engineering, Tony Montero, AA2TX, who's now a silent key. And uh, because of the success in what AMSAT helped create, as, uh, as you may know, we've been building a a satellites for about 45 years. And we would hitchhike rides with them or for them on various launch vehicles, typically as ballast. But as, as it became uh, more and more interest in space, that, uh, that forces people to become paying customers. The CubeSat became a standard because that allows you to make something that just about any rocket can accommodate in that sense. So uh, we went after that design. And in the development of the Fox 1, there, there are one of the things about building any satellite, of course, you got to look at what, what your, uh, your goals are. But for AMSAT, of course, it's to have a good working radio that will last a number of years. It costs, takes a lot of time and costs a lot of money to get it into space. So while some experiments that are done 
perhaps by some universities and such are, uh, you know, maybe a year's worth of, of interest. We're interested in keeping something up there for as long as the orbit will last at least. So the designs, you have to consider the radiation of space and the temperature, the temperature swings, and uh, a number of factors that can uh, influence and degrade your electronics. That leads to careful part choices, a lot of uh, prototyping, and a lot of testing to make sure that that goes together right. The CubeSat itself, being four inches by four inches, is a... uh, you know, a, a pretty tiny box to put all that stuff into. So the the circuit layout and everything is quite a bit of work as well. The We do subject it to a lot of testing. Uh, it has to be able to survive the launch vehicle, which can be very violent, actually, the ride to space compared to what you're, uh, you know, used to thinking. It uh, it can be quite a few Gs of acceleration where the, where the spacecraft are riding. So we have to make sure that it doesn't fall apart in vibration testing, and we test for... Uh, shock and, and various things depending on the launch vehicle. The number of hours that are required to put in, you know, to make sure that that all, all comes together are what leads to part of the reason that it takes some time to get to orbit. Because again, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to put something up that's not going to work well. The design of the Fox 1 satellites then, well, was to build more than one because once you're starting to put this effort and money into the research and development, you get much better turn on investment if you make uh, make more than one of them. So there are a number of engineers, and everyone who works on these is a volunteer, everyone. They're working on them. It's similar to working on uh, any amateur radio project you might work on where you build something. And uh, then but well, we've got a large group of people doing it because there are so many different things that go into it and, and a lot of different skills that are involved. It... Uh, Excuse me. It requires uh, quite a bit of understanding and technique because the, once you launch it, you can't fix it. You know, if you build a project uh, in your shack, for example, you might turn it on; it doesn't work quite right. Well, you can you can change things. Uh, even though we test it right up until launch, if if something doesn't go quite right in space, of course, we're stuck with what it is. So uh, well, it, it I don't takes know. There might be some time, people out there that. Uh that would volunteer to say, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll just go up there and fix that. Yeah, that's true. I don't think that would go over, though. <laughs> well, it's uh, actually, if it costs as much as it does to launch a CubeSat, to launch a human to fix it, you may as well just probably build another CubeSat. Huh? <laughs> that's true. So the, uh, the, the, the amount of, uh, you know, it, it is like a big project, but it's just got a lot more a lot more tricks, a lot of different things to think about that, that you uh, don't typically encounter, I guess you'd say, in a, in a standard radio, more or less, you know, what we're used to dealing with uh, as far as ham radios. We, we design it for, to be able to hold the uh, experiments. This gives us opportunities for launches because of the NASA CubeSat launch initiative program where it's part of their outreach to further education and exploration and such. The STEM education that comes with students developing and flying a, an experiment board is part of the value that NASA is looking for, that they're willing to pay for the cost of a launch. And so that helps us to put that up there. We're, of course, very great with radios, AMSAT is, and therefore, uh, as far as bringing telemetry down, it's, it's an excellent way to do that. And it, it benefits 
education and uh, learning for everyone throughout the world, really, because the ham radio in itself, of course, is obviously a place to uh, foster education as well as goodwill and, and you know, communication and, and to learn things. So uh, just putting a transponder in space through is, uh, is an opportunity for everyone to be able to learn something from that. Excellent, excellent stuff. And, uh, you know, you've got to also get into, you know, some of the physics of, of maintaining that orbit and, and keeping everything going. So, so how do you make those little adjustments and, and keep those things running for years and years? The, the CubeSats that we're flying are passive. They, they don't have any attitude control, the, the Fox 1. They don't have any uh, propulsion. So, and, that, and that's true of a large number of the CubeSats that are launched, uh, especially the size that they are. It's difficult to put that in there, plus the number of radios and experiments, et cetera, that we do. But So it, it's launched and it's deployed, and essentially it will just float around in that orbit, if you will, until the orbit eventually decays. And there is no control of it. Now, we do have control through the sense that there is a magnet, a bar magnet in each one of these that's uh, along one side. And what that does is generally keep the plus Z axis or the top end, as we tend to think of it here on Earth, pointed toward the north magnetic pole. So that keeps it stable in that respect. Uh, we also use uh, the, the photon effect of, of photons reflecting off of different, uh, different uh, darkness uh, materials through the sides of it. If you look at a picture of a fox, you'll see we have gold and then we have some darker colored rails and such. And that, that imparts a bit of a spin to it. So, the, of course, the spin around the axis provides stabilization as well. But that's the maximum of that. If uh, we have no way to control it, to, to boost it or re-enter it or anything like that, it, uh, it takes its own course and, and comes down when uh, nature says, nature and physics, that it's time to do that. With, with right. our future satellites, we'll get into more of that, but uh, talk about that in a bit. Okay. Very good. Well... Uh, some great information and uh, and learning a lot about uh, building satellites here with uh, Jerry Buxton in Zero JY. And uh, we'll be back to talk some more with him and take your phone calls and uh, tweets and, and whatever else you have. Uh, we'd love to uh, have you participate. Again, that phone number is 812-NET-TAM-1, 812-638-4261. And We'll open up uh, the phone lines right after this word from the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting right here on Ham Talk Live. The National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting, located in Westchester, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati, is only two minutes off I-75. The museum is the former home of the Voice of America Bethany Relay Station. Tours are now available every Saturday and Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can see the control room, a 200,000-watt transmitter, and the most comprehensive collection of inventions by the iconic Powell Crosley, Jr. Also on display is a huge antique radio exhibit and R.L. Drake's personal collection of most every Drake amateur rig ever made. This is a unique opportunity to see the amateur radio in action and have a chance to get on the air from WC8 VOA. 
Admission is only $5 a person. The museum is located close to historic WLWAM and tons of shopping and restaurants. Take a trip to the VOA Museum or visit us online at voamuseum.org. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812 Net Ham 1. That's 812 638 4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Everyone in the audience on Ham Talk Live today is going to get one of my favorite things. You get a 5 9. You get a 5 9. Everyone gets a 5 9. Ham Talk Live's on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here at HamTalkLive.com. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, over on Facebook a while ago, I posted some pictures from the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting. So uh, check that out, and uh, hopefully you can uh, visit them at some point. Um, I know uh, we'll be talking more about that later, but... Uh, they're usually open during Hamvention weekend, so if you go to Hamvention, maybe you can uh, run down and visit the museum. Well, it's time for your calls now. If you have a question for Jerry from AMSAT, give us a call. The time is now. So uh, let me give you that phone number again. It's 812-NET-HAM-1, 6384261 or you can Skype us we're Ham Talk Live on Skype as well as on Twitter and you can uh, tweet your questions to us and while we're waiting uh, to see if we have some questions uh Jerry you you kind of teased us here a little bit with uh the next project coming up and that may have some attitude control to it so um Tell us about the new project that you're going to be working on. Very good. The um, Fox One being the first CubeSat AMSATs built, we learned a tremendous amount from it. And the uh, CubeSat form factor is the current way to go to space. Uh, it's the, So what we're looking at with uh, the next project is called GOLF. And that's an acronym for Greater Orbit, Larger Footprint. And the greater orbit, in other words, the higher your orbit is, the larger a footprint, the more area of the Earth the spacecraft can see, and therefore you have a wider area that uh, that you can span with two stations talking to each other. So uh, golf is also because we had Echo was AO51, and then Fox is the various uh, Fox 1 CubeSats, five of them that we've built. And so golf is also the next uh, letter in phonetically. Golf is the word. Golf is uh, golf. T is going to be the first one, and what it is is sort of a rapid deployment of this technology. We are going to put attitude determination and control, and we will have deployable solar panels. It's going to be a three U CubeSat uh, form factor, which is basically twelve inches tall, if you will, by four inches by four inches per side. It's like three one U CubeSats stacked up. This will give us an opportunity for more power, uh, more room inside for, for batteries uh, and the ability to deploy the solar panels. The attitude determination and control 
allows us to point the satellite for either maximum power with the solar panels or to point antennas. And one of the things that we're moving toward is to use microwave bands uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the, the VHF and UHF are extremely crowded right now. Microwave bands, of course, have megahertz, tens of megahertz available that uh, give us the opportunity to, you know, spread out, have a lot more signals, a lot more going on. And if you have a couple digital type, uh, digital techniques with that, then you can get quite a bit of interesting stuff going on within the microwave bands. So uh, we're going to be flying some uh, prototypes or precursors of that as we work toward or as we develop our five and dime concept. Five and dime is the the name we coined for the five gigahertz uplink and ten gigahertz downlink or C band and X band that we'll be using. Those are uh, bands that are have a lot of bandwidth available, as I said, to amateur radio for satellites. And they give us, uh, of course, with the with the smaller wavelengths, you don't need as big an antenna. You can begin. You can use horns and patch antennas and such, and that's where the satellite pointing can come into play to be able to get higher gain at, at higher altitudes. Which, uh, with uh, of course, if you want to try to get gain with a seventy centimeter or two meter antenna, you're talking about a pretty large antenna. So we're looking. To, we're, we're pretty excited about that. That's going to give us the, the the chance to be able to begin using these various things and the golfs. Golf program in itself is designed to be a stepping stone as we learn and develop these technologies to get uh, to get to HEO back to the high highly elliptical orbit, which are the ones that would cover a hemisphere for about twelve hours a day, like AO forty, AO thirteen, and AO ten in the past. The uh, we have a program within AMSAT called ASCENT, which is an acronym for the Advanced Satellite Communications and Exploration of New Technology. It's a skunk works, essentially, with a bunch of engineers who uh, I just let go off and, and do what, what they will, if you, you know, what they wish, and, and play around. And the idea is that they come up with some very cool ideas about uh, that we can apply to future satellites, you know, like the microwave, the digital, uh, various attitude control and thrust. And so the golf series gives us, gives us an opportunity to be able to take these things that they're developing and as a matter of fact some of what were some of the purposes of the golf mission golf team mission were driven by what ascent has created and, and and test them out in space in a lower earth orbit which is which is less expensive uh, so to speak once so that we can develop our confidence and the and the capability and the systems to be able to put something up into a higher orbit that will be reliable as i said we want it to stay up there as long as we can so uh, that's all coming together very well in this sense. We, we've got a lot of people coming up with great ideas. We look at the mission opportunities we have, the launch opportunities, and we put those together to come up with, uh, with this opportunity. Golf T won't have any – well, it will have one experiment on it from Vanderbilt University, a radiation experiment, which is similar to what was carried by Fox 1A, AO85, and Fox 1B, AO91. The uh, Golf 1, which will be the first official series after we do the rapid deployment and development, will uh, carry an experiment with a camera. So that'll be another interesting one. And uh, the ability to point the satellite aids that quite a bit because then we're not just, uh, uh, you know, seeing random views when the, when the photo's taken, if you will. But we can actually look, look for particular areas pointing toward the Earth or, you know, toward the moon, what have you. 
it's it's going to be it's going to be quite an advance. It's going to be very very neat, and uh, I think it will help us rapidly get back to the highly elliptical orbit. The, the higher you go, the more expensive it is. So one of the things that's that's an obstacle for getting to a higher amateur radio satellite orbits is that it's become pretty pretty pricey for to put our one U Fox satellites up into low Earth orbit, which is around 500, 600 kilometers, it costs approximately $125,000. That's manufacturer-suggested retail price, if you will, <laughs> on a launch. Uh, but then if you triple that into a 3U, you're talking about $300,000. And as you go up with a 3U to a geo uh, geotransfer orbit, or GTO, which is basically highly elliptical at the equator, uh, you're talking about $900,000 for a 3U satellite. So it, it costs a lot of money to get there, and especially when we do go for that launch, we want to make sure we have something that uh, isn't going to be a $900, you know, test, but we want to have some good solid uh, practice and, and uh, understanding behind it. So I expect that uh, over the next five years, we will have uh, put up several golf satellites that gives us the opportunity to develop these techniques and be looking for those launches that will get us even higher. Well, and some exciting stuff coming up. Um, I uh, I look forward to hearing uh, how how that goes with uh, the attitude control and everything. Uh, that that's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so let me give you that phone number again. It's eight one two six three eight four two six one. It spells out eight one two net ham one. If you have a question for Jerry, or you can tweet us. Uh, now's the time to do that. We have a few minutes remaining in the show. So uh, if you have something that uh, you want to ask, um, like Tom Crow here in 5TTI, um, he wants to know, were there any major adjustments made between Fox 1A and 1D? Um, the reason he asks is because uh, 1B seems to be much easier to work than 1A. And uh, that's right on. There, there weren't any design adjustments made per se. Fox 1A, the first one up, AO85, it is hard of hearing. In other words, it's not as sensitive as we had planned, nor as we would like to see. The Fox 1 series was designed to be able to be worked with a 5-watt handheld radio and a handheld antenna like an Arrow or an Elk antenna. And uh, AO85 is on the edge of that. The problem is that in in uh, putting it together, when we had the flight model together, the antenna was, is soldered onto the solar panel. The antenna is a whip made of nitinol wire. So uh, what, what turned out is that the solder basically cocooned around the antenna. And we, of course, didn't know that until it just came out of the solder, you know, like maybe uh, two weeks or so before we were due to go to environmental testing and hand it over. So at that time, looking at what our options were with it, one thing you don't want to do is take a satellite apart because then you have to retest everything that you've done up to that point. It was uh, opted that, that, and it had been tested before on Earth, that, that if we use this conductive epoxy to hold it on, that that should satisfy the need of getting it on there quickly and, and the least intrusive way of doing it. So we did do that, and uh, we also added some regular epoxy over that just for strength. It turns out that in, in doing that, some of the epoxy apparently overlapped some of the traces. You know, it was just a little bit outside of where the solder would have gone on the circuit board traces, and it wound up detuning the antenna. 
you know, that was our determination once it got to orbit that that that, that was uh, the reason that Fox 1A is hard of hearing. So with the subsequent Fox satellites, especially since the solder didn't hold, we came up with a new technique for soldering the antennas. So that was the design change, uh, if you want to call it that. And Fox 1B, C, D, and E will all have that new change. Fox 1B or AO91 proved that the uh, new technique works and that the cause for AO, uh, AO85's uh, hearing problems is, is the antenna. So we corrected that. Fox 1D seems to uh, also demonstrate it's very sensitive, you know, with the HT and, and a whip type of uh, contact. And that's that's what happened there. Okay, good answer there. And Tom, thanks for uh, tweeting into us and asking that. And uh, we've got a few other comments here. Uh, Robert, KE4AL, says if you're stuck at work, nothing beats listening to Jerry. Uh, great up- info and updates. And uh, and Jeff, WE4B, says uh, good show so far. So uh, thank you, Jeff. And thank you, Robert, for listening. We appreciate that. And. Uh, and Robert uh, Fitzpatrick, we'll see what we can do about the uh, satellite cops. Um, I don't, I don't <laughs> know if we can we can get any of those launched or not. But uh, but uh, Jerry, uh, this is this is kind of a crazy thing, but I'm going to say it anyway because sometimes I I just say things that come to mind. One of the things that I've always joked about it, and and I'm I'm. I, I have a chemistry degree. I teach chemistry, so I'm always interested in the science uh, experiments that go up as well as the ham radio. And so one of the things that we always have joked about over the years was, wouldn't it be nice to do a radiation study at the Dayton Hamvention and just see how much radiation is is being produced by all of those hams all in one place. So you were talking about the Gulf satellite and doing some radiation studies and being able to maneuver and point the cameras and point everything in the direction. So let, let me throw this out there for the team and say, can, can we do a study on the electromagnetic radiation coming out of Dayton in May? <laughs> you know, that's uh, an interesting thought there that, uh, you know, everybody does an RF exposure study or at least considers it. I wonder if uh, they take into account what happens when you get a whole bunch of hams together. Do you need a massive one? The so the radiation that I referred to, of course, is, is uh, of your high-energy particles type of stuff. Because in space, one of the things that we deal with is you've got these high-energy particles either trapped in the the Van Allen belts and the radiation belts around the Earth or cosmic rays or, or uh, particles coming from the sun. And those are heck on electronics. Of course, you can buy radiation-hardened components, but they're really expensive. I mean, a uh, $1 or less typical commercial off-the-shelf chip can, could cost, like, for example, $400 for a radiation-hardened version. And those are uh, slightly made-up numbers, so don't call me on that. But the... Uh, <laughs> that's one of the things that we're working with is, you know, in, in, in part of the uh, design that we talked about at the beginning is finding parts that can withstand the radiation. CMOS is something we generally, generally tend to avoid because it can latch up. It's called a single event latch up. And, and what happens is a particle gets into the substrata there and it essentially turns it on. 
and leaves it stuck that way, creating a short, and you wind up uh, with a, a high current flow. But the Vanderbilt University experiments that they're flying, they actually put uh, commercial off-the-shelf parts such as memory on on a board, and they fly it up there, and they look at the amount of radiation exposure it's getting by loading a pattern into the memory, if you will, ones and zeros, and then watching it change over time as as low-energy protons hit it and flip the bits. And that helps everybody in looking at the uh, opportunity for lowering cost by being able to uh, characterize and and select commercial off-the-shelf components that will work. As far as RF radiation, electromagnetic, that we're used to dealing with as hams, the uh, FOX1 series gives us an opportunity to do some mapping of the Earth. I mean, excuse me, I'm at the Gulf. And uh, by, by being able to point, we have considered that, you know, looking at Earth in various wavelengths as, as we orbit and seeing just generally a signal level, you know, as you, as you pass over various countries or, or the oceans or what have you. Uh, something like this was done with AO51, and they have uh, they actually did some mapping like that to look at uh, what goes on on the frequencies that they had, which was two meters, seventy centimeters, and uh, yeah, they had, there was a receiver on one point two gigahertz, the L band. So that had been done before, and we're considering looking at the idea of continuing it, especially into the microwave. Is an interesting thought because that's where we're going to want to go. So you don't want to be picking up. Uh, taxis on microwave with our future satellites or something and, uh, which has happened you know that two meter band gets to be used around the world a lot by non-hams well so maybe i wasn't too far off then uh you, you got it now now focusing on dayton yep, i don't know if we go. got that resolution yet but i'll tell you what <laughs> i'd be able to get a picture how's that uh, I, uh, there we go. Now, now that that would be a picture, a picture of uh, Hamvention from outer space. There we go. Hey, uh, oh, we got a tweet in, but we are down to about a minute here. And before we sign off, uh, sorry, I, I got to ignore the the tweet there that came in. Uh, but if someone is interested in helping out in some way, whether it be building or donating. Um, to the cause at AMSAT, how do they do that? All Everybody's welcome. Um, first of all, the, the way to do that is to go to the AMSAT website, www.amsat, that's Alpha Mike Sierra Alpha Tango, dot org. And there is a link in the menu bar to, uh, how, to how to help AMSAT. And volunteers are something that we that we need a lot of because everything that's done here is done by uh, people that are just doing this for fun, essentially. Uh, one of engineering, we can always use volunteers because there's a lot of work to be done. And, of course, it uh, cuts the risk of a mission by being able to have more than one volunteer working on something because real life often interrupts what we do as our, in our hobby, as you, as you well know. Uh, oh, yeah. If you can't volunteer time, then money if you will, is, oh, I mean, there's, there's, there's more than engineering. Check the website. There's a lot of other things you can do to help. But also money is useful because uh, that helps to pay for, you know, these launches. They're, they're getting expensive and, and the building the satellites. So uh, anything you can do. If you can, if you can send in five bucks a week instead of buying a fancy coffee, that makes a big difference. I mean, over a year, you've bought uh, a, one of the systems on a Fox 1 satellite. So. Okay. Well, there you go. And, uh, amsat.org and the the tweet here is from don kb2 
uh, YSI, and he says, give Jerry and all of Hamset a huge thank you for the most fun he's had in the last 15 years of uh, ham radio. He started working the birds after Dayton uh, last year and enjoys the challenges. So we're going to have to end it there, but Jerry, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll, we may be talking to you again soon. Thank you again. Have a good night. All right, that's a wrap for this week's Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Jerry and everybody for listening. Next week, Rob Sherwood, NC0B, is going to be with us. We're going to look at the ICOM 7610 numbers that he got a hold of. For a list of all of our upcoming guests, visit hamtalklive.com. For now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours. Tell, 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 tell,